So if you would, please bow your heads with me and pray with me and for me this morning as we enter into worship through God's word. Heavenly Father, we come before you humbled by your grace, humbled by your gift of salvation, the very life of your own son. God, the son taking on flesh to live a righteous life that we could never live, to die the death that we all deserve to die and then rise from a grave that can never hold any of us now because he conquered death for us. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would just implant those truths in our hearts and that we would glorify Jesus today as we worship you in the hearing, in the speaking of your word today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I think October is probably the most wonderful time of the year in Oklahoma. And I think that we all enjoy it quite a bit. I enjoy it because in October, bow season opens and you can go deer hunting, right, from the very beginning. I enjoy that. But I enjoy just the change that we receive by God's design in October. It's this time of the year that we start to feel the cool breezes come down and you know autumn is near. And you begin to smell those smells that remind you of the fall. And, and if you have ears to hear at this time of the year, you can hear some very special things. One of the things you can hear in October, if you have ears to hear, is a hammer. You hear the echo of an old hammer banging away in Germany. And if you listen even closer, you can hear faithful voices from the distant past. And those voices echo in what we celebrate today and what we're going to talk about this morning. And I want to tell you that these voices echo, I think, most clearly in the five solas of the Reformation. Sola Scriptura, Sola Gratia, Sola Fide, Solus Christus, Soli Deo Gloria. And today I want us to zoom in on one. I want us to listen to one of the solos as it's echoed, not by men, but by God in his word. And that sola is solus Christus. And I want to focus in on this one because I think it's the most important for many reasons. I think it's the most important because all of the rest of the solas are built around it or upon it. Sola Scriptura points to the foundational cause of our salvation, and that is it's linked to Christ. It points to Jesus. Sola Gratia points out that the moving cause of our salvation is grounded on the basis of Christ Jesus. Sola Fide points out that the instrumental cause of salvation is Jesus. It's focused on his work. And Sola Deo Gloria points out that the eternal cause of our salvation is glorified in Jesus. And We know that because scriptures testify to this. Scriptures testify to us that the meritorious cause of our salvation is not found in us. It's found in Christ alone. That's what the reformers meant when they said solus Christus. When the reformers came to understand this great truth for the first time, if you will, they rediscovered something that had always been in God's word. But when they rediscovered this truth, their amazement and their joy over this truth set the world on fire in the 16th century. It set it on fire because Solus Christus was in complete conflict and opposition to what the Roman Catholic system of the day, and even still today, were teaching. 
Let me give you a little information about what they taught and what they still teach today. Rome teaches that man must perform works of merit, sacraments, in order to be justified in God's sight. And that, my friends, is a damnable heresy. For the Roman Catholic, they, they, they must believe this, that, that Christ, his work, must be repeated over and over and over again by their priests in the Mass. And it has to be repeated because man keeps failing, man keeps sinning. So Christ must be re-sacrificed daily to atone for our sins. And this upset the Reformers when they discovered the truth about Christ. Because to accomplish this work, to accomplish this re-sacrificing, the priest, who is considered their mediator between God and man, the priest would demand that Jesus comes down from glory, from heaven, daily, and be re-sacrificed in the Mass at their bidding, at their command. That's what happens in the Mass. But that is not what the Bible teaches, is it? Not at all. The Scriptures clearly teach that sinners are justified by or on the basis of God's grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ's completed work alone. That's it. What that means is this. We are fully forgiven, fully pardoned, fully accepted by God, only on the basis of the finished work of our great high priest, according to Hebrews 4. 14 to 16, and that will be our text this morning. It was a text like this that opened the eyes of the Reformers, and I pray today that this text will help open our eyes to rest in or rejoice in Christ alone as the source of our salvation. Let me show you what they begin to see beginning here in 14a. Here we see, number one, Christ's priestly work of mediation, his priestly work of mediation is the only basis of our faith, of our salvation. It says this, since then we have a great high priest, meaning, that's a superlative sense here, greater, the greatest, nothing greater, a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, he's done something no one else could do. His name is Jesus. He is the Son of God. Since we have this great high priest, we should be amazed. We should be thrilled because he can do what no other priest can do. These first few words should just amaze you. He says, since then we have, not we will have, not we might have, not we could have, but we have. A great high priest. Saints, listen. That glorious statement is a fact. It is a fact. Penned by the Holy Spirit through the writer of Hebrews. And that fact is worthy of our praise and our adoration and our thanksgiving this morning. It tells us that Jesus is our all-sufficient and our final great high priest. Meaning that he is supremely greater than any of the Old Testament High priests, and he's supremely greater than any so-called priests today because he completed a work that no one could do but the God-man himself. And this is a weighty statement because we understand that in the Old Testament, the, the high priest on the Day of Atonement, 
He had to pass. You remember when he would come into the holiest of holies, he would pass through the veil to offer a blood sacrifice for the sins of Israel and for himself, because he was also guilty. But in Hebrews, we see something different, not just in chapter four, but also in chapter nine. Go to chapter nine with me. Hebrews nine. Look at verse 11 to see how much greater our final high priest is. Verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. This is a completed work. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify or set apart for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, Purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore, he is a mediator. Key word. He is a mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. In this passage, we see that, that our great high priest didn't simply pass through a veil on this earth. He passed through the heavens. He passed through the heavens as through the veil of the temple to a place that we could not go on our own. Is it possible? No, it is not. Only the God man could do this. And Christ alone entered the holiest of holies in the very presence of God, the father. Just the thought of that should send chills down your back. The prophet Isaiah, when he saw a vision of this, he fell as a dead man. He fell on his face as the threshold shook. And he says, oh, woe is me. I am undone. I'm coming unraveled at the seams. So Christ had to take our place. Christ did this for us. He entered into the holiest of holies in the very presence of God, the father to do something for us that he should be praised for for eternity. He presented his own sinless blood shed once on behalf of his people, on behalf of sinners. And and through that priestly work, Jesus alone secured for us eternal redemption. He paid the price in full. There's nothing to be added. Nothing can be taken away. He paid it for us. Now go back to Hebrews 4.14b, the last few words I left out. Those few words are important. It's sort of the glue that makes it all stick together. Based on this great high priest, who he is, he's telling us now, hold, hold fast to our confession. And I think the confession he's talking about, that the writer of Hebrews is talking about, is our confession of trust in Christ. This is our confession. I am redeemed by the work of Jesus, not my own acts, not my own deeds, not my own good works. That is my confession. 
And he's telling us here, we can hold fast or we can trust that Jesus did what we cannot do for ourselves. He did what no mere man could ever do, as it said in Hebrews 9. Go back to Hebrews 9. We're going to bounce around in Hebrews. Hebrews 9.24. We see it again. Jesus doing something that we could not do on our own. No priest could do this. Only the great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God, could do this. Beginning in verse 24. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are the copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. On our behalf. I hope that washes over you this morning and renews your trust that you're holding fast to. Renews your conviction, your confession. He says, nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all, meaning once for all time at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Saints, that means you don't have to atone for your own sins. Jesus did it. There's no self-atonement here. He has once for all paid the penalty. He has once for all set you apart for eternity by his work. Not by any work that we could ever do on our own. He passed through the holy veil of heaven to offer himself as our sacrifice. And he's now not only our sacrifice, he's our mediating high priest. His blood intercedes for us. It's what brings us before God without fear of judgment. His high priestly work alone then must be the basis of our faith and our confession as Christians. This is what the reformers were trying to so adamantly proclaim in the face of Rome. And we can hold to the same things they held to in that. We can hold fast to this confession because the work of Jesus' mediation is not merely a, a technical thing that he has done. that He has simply fulfilled the requirements of the law. No, his, his mediation was driven by his divine and yet human compassion. Perfectly human, perfectly divine. His mediation was for our good intention. It was for us. His mediation was driven by his compassion. And secondly, his, his work of compassion as the great high priest in our place, our mediator, is now the basis not only of our salvation, it's the basis of all the riches that come with it. It's the basis of God's grace. We receive favor from God not based on how well we perform as Christians. We receive favor from God based on how Jesus performed in our place. Because he came for us. He came because we cannot Atone. He came because he cares about us. He came out of divine love for us and to give us the riches of God's grace because he loves us. Do you, do you think often about that little statement? Jesus loves me. If you know the depth of your sin, that statement should shock you into praise. Jesus loves me. He hung upon a cross because of me. Yet he loves me. He's seen every depraved thought and act that I've ever done. Yet he loves me. 
And he died for me. 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He has, he has great compassion for us. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Praise God. That's our hope. See, see Christ's incarnational work, his work as the God-man, serving as our great high priest, it reveals to us his great compassion. He condescends. He takes on human flesh. He becomes a slave. He comes to serve sinners who spit in his face because he loves us. It's his compassion that brings us favor from God, the Father. His compassion toward us, God was pleased in. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He lays down his life willingly for us. And he sympathizes with us by living a life like our lives, yet without sin. As our incarnate means in the flesh, that's what that means, in the flesh, our infleshed God, as our incarnate high priest, Jesus sympathizes with us in a unique way. He is the forever theanthropos. You know what that means? The forever God-man. He didn't just come and take on flesh and live our life and die our death and rise victoriously over sin and death. He ascended in glory bodily. He's going to come back bodily. And he is forever in a body as our mediator, as our sympathetic high priest who knows how we feel. He is the God man. He lived in this world just like us. He had to learn to tie his sandals. He had to learn that it hurts when you fall down. His nerves reacted just like yours when someone kicked him in the shin. He was abused just like you're abused. He knows what it feels like to be hated and despised more than any of us. He knows what it feels like to be lonely because he's the only one who's ever truly been lonely. He was separated from God the Father on the cross so he could be treated like us for a moment in time so that we could be treated like him for eternity. He experienced real temptations for us. He faced the same wicked world that we face, but unlike us, he conquered, he overcame. He overcame wickedness. He overcame sin. He overcame temptation. Hebrews 4.15 says that in every respect, and I like this translation better. It's my own translation, so whether you like it or not, it's up to you. In every respect, or better, at every stage of life, Jesus overcame temptation for us. He faced the trials of childhood just like you faced. He faced the trials of his teen years, just like you have faced. He knows what it feels like to be a teenager. He knows rejection. He knows heartache. He faced those things. He faced those temptations to sin in those instances, yet he did not sin. Then he faced the temptation of Satan 
as a man, as an adult, yet without sin. He faced Diabolos, the, the deceiver, the accuser, face to face in the garden, no, in the wilderness. And he conquered the greatest enemy that we have on this earth in the flesh for us. This is a monumental truth. And it's essential to your salvation to understand this. Jesus faced and overcame real temptations for us because we don't overcome them ourselves. We fall short. We fall into them. He never did. He came to conquer them for us. Luke 4 just, as, just verses 1 to 8. Just verses 1 to 8. Let me read this to you. And notice who led him into the wilderness. It is God the Holy Spirit. He was sent there for a divine purpose. For us. For the glory of God's name. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. For 40 days being tempted by the devil... And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. (laughs) That might be an understatement. Okay. This is probably not the fast that you and I probably celebrate when we fast. Where we say, I'm not going to eat one meal a day. This is Jesus not eating for 40 days. He was hungry. He felt the pain of hunger like no one had ever felt at that point. And there's a reason it was more intense in him than it is even in us. Because he is the son of God and he could have demanded to be fed. He was worthy to be fed. Yet he restrained his glory for us. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus said, or Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. See, he is overcoming for us here. Only Jesus deserved these things that were offered to him. He always deserved to be fed, yet he chose to feel hunger for us. He never deserved to hunger, period. But he chose this pain so that we could be satisfied for eternity. He deserved to rule as the king of kings, yet he chose to serve as our substitute. He chose this so that this is the glorious part. He he chose that so that slaves of sin could one day rule with him in authority, rule with him in eternity. And, And the point of all this is this. He endured these things. He endured these temptations and this doing all this because he's sympathizing with us. Because he cares about us. And he wants us to see how great of a savior he is. And he wants our eyes to be open and to see how sinful sin is. 
Look what it does to this planet. Look what it brings. It brings pain. It brings hurt, heartache. And I understand your hurt and your heartache. I'm going to come and I'm going to be a part of it. Yet I'm not going to sin because you're so prone to sin in it. And you could never attain salvation in your sinful condition. But I'm going to come because I see this. Maybe you don't see how sinful sin is. And maybe some of you here today don't see how sinful sin is until you look into the face of Jesus. Who shows you compassion by coming to the earth to sympathize with you. So that he could atone for you. And that he could say to you, I understand what you're going through and I'm with you in it. Sadly, for us today, we're almost so unaffected by sin that we don't even know that we're even caught up in it at times. You know, we justify all of our sins. We get in traffic and that idiot in front of me and the idiot behind me and all these idiots around me. I don't know what's wrong with these morons. I'm not sinning, though. They get out of my way. I'll just, if they don't, I'll run them down. You know, I mean, that's we're so unaffected by our sins. We're desensitized, if you will. But not our Savior. Could you imagine the sinless Son of God walking through this earth, seeing and smelling sin? The result of sin. What is it when an animal dies and you drive past, you smell it? It's the result of sin. He could smell it. He could see it. Yet, we're almost unaffected by it. He was sensitive to it. Sin broke Jesus' heart when he saw it. That's why I think he wept at Lazarus' tomb. He knew he was going to raise him from the dead. He's God in the flesh. But he saw what sin did. And it broke his heart. And the good news for us is it didn't just break his heart. It moved deeper than that. It drove him to the cross to do something about sin for us. And now through his incarnate work, his high priestly mediation and his compassion, God's grace now flows to us through him. Understand this. We receive God's free grace through Christ's compassion and his conquering of our sins. His compassion for us and his conquering over us. The things that condemn us. That's how we receive God's favor. Do not fool yourselves to think that if you're being good, you're acting right, and things are going well in your life, that's God giving you a little extra push because you're doing so well. No. If you do anything good as a sinner, that is because of God's grace at work in you. Because even the tears of our repentance need to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. There's enough sin still in them that they're not completely pure. We're still clinging to that sin just a little bit that we're crying against. But Jesus, when he wept, when he cried on the cross, there was no sin in that weeping. There was no regrets. He looked forward to the joy of what would happen on that day when he took our place without regret. And it's just good for me to know that Jesus cares, not just in a technical sense that to do a work that fulfilled all the requirements of the law, but Jesus himself, the God-man, actually cares for us. He sympathizes with us. He understands our sorrows. He knows how ugly and painful life is on this planet. 
He he experienced the things that we experience on this planet. He had real emotions, real joy, real sadness, real heartache. He faced real temptations. He felt real pains. He knew the struggles of man. He saw the results of our sin and how it destroys this world. And yet he overcame it out of divine compassion as our great high priest. He overcame sins for us because only Christ could really overcome the sins that enslave us. We cannot get out of this. We cannot get out of this slave market to sin. We're we're slaves for life until Christ comes to set us free. And he came personally to break those bonds, to give us freedom and to give us himself as the ultimate gift. Of God's grace. He knew how devastating sin is and would be in this world. He knows that sin kills relationships. Sin robs us of real compassion for others. We're self-centered. And sin deceives us into believing lies in our minds. Sin is a wicked, wicked master. Sin leads us to seek pleasures in life that ultimately lead to eternal death. And the most wretched part of sin is this. Ultimately, sin mocks the holiness of God, our creator. And our sins, every sin we sin is against our holy, sovereign creator, God, who made us and commands us to honor him with all of our strength and all of our might and all of our being. And yet we know we can't do it apart from Christ. And so Jesus, out of compassion, comes and does it for us. Jesus could see things in this world that we can't see. He could see how desensitized we are by our sins and can't feel them any longer. So he comes and he he feels them in their full force for us. He feels the temptations and he conquers them in our place. He comes under the devastating weight of our sins on the cross. So that those burdens would not be on us any longer. He receives it out of love for us. Our our sinful condition broke his heart. It drove him to the cross. And his love for us kept him there. I, I hope today, thinking about Jesus and his work, I hope today that you feel and see the weight of your own sins that held Jesus on the cross. And I pray that you'll ponder that not just today, but every day. And I pray today it would be afresh in your heart. That you would understand that he is the only one who can save you and set you free and bring you to eternal joy in heaven. He is the only glorious and sympathetic savior of sinners that could conquer in our place, that could conquer sin's power completely. I hope you ponder afresh that without him, there would be no way for dead, blind sinners to be saved from their sins. There's no way we could be saved apart from Jesus. No way. You deny Jesus. You reject Jesus. You don't trust in Jesus. And you will be damned in your sins for eternity. Because you inwardly desire sin more than you do Jesus. And you deserve God's wrath and hell because of that. But if you're a believer today, glory be to God. 
Jesus never failed. Jesus overcame our wicked hearts. He merited God's favor for us eternally. And I just want you to grasp and think about this, because as good reformed Christians, you have great soteriology. You have great theology. And sometimes because of that, though, you can eject on your emotions and your feelings when it comes to these essential truths. And you should never do that. If talking about the doctrine of salvation doesn't bring you emotion, something's wrong with you. For Jesus, this work of divine compassion and mediation was not some technical thing worked out in God's eternal decrees in time past. And then Jesus mechanically worked out in time present for a a mass of certain groups of people. It wasn't that at all. What Jesus did was the work of divine compassion for you and for me individually. He came for you. He died for you if you but believe in Him. He took your place. And I cannot even imagine. I think about Paul going in for surgery. And I think if, if, if any of us could take Paul's place, we probably wouldn't, right? Because I don't want to do that, right? But yet, because I know it's going to hurt. It's going to be terrible. And yet when we were at our worst place, the worst pain that could ever be brought upon mankind in eternity of God's wrath in hell. It fell upon Jesus because he willingly went to a cross to bear the weight and the guilt that you and I deserve for our sins and receive the wrath of Almighty God in eternity of hell in three hours on the cross. He received it, he absorbed it, and he conquered it. That should move you to praise, the thanksgiving, when it comes to talking about Jesus. Just consider, you and I, what we were like before he acted on our behalf, before he intervened in your life and opened your eyes to the sinfulness of sin and the greatness of his grace and the work that he accomplished. What were you and I? We were hell-bound sinners, wretches, slaves of sin, lovers of self, haters of God, followers of this God of this world, Satan. But at the right time, Christ came into the world. He came into the world to be despised and forsaken because that's what we deserve. He did it for us. That's divine compassion. I mean, what an amazing display of God's love for us. God is sovereign. God is almighty. I could think of a lot of ways that I could come up with to save a bunch of wretched people other than sacrificing my son on their behalf. But this was God's plan, because in it, he receives all the glory and Christ is magnified as he ought to be. The sinless lamb of God was slain by God's love for us. Think about that. He was slain by God's love for us so that we would be able to praise him for all eternity. And we would sing with the reformers, Soli Deo Gloria. To God alone be all the praise. And what a love. What a grace. The song we sing, the Son of God slain for us. Jesus came to us in humility, did he not? But he came for a purpose. He came to be crushed because of our depravity. He was crushed 
because of our depravity so that we could come into God's presence now without fear, without judgment. And we can cry out to God now when we are struggling, when we are hurting, because he is not just the mediator. He is the sympathetic high priest. He is there and his blood always atones for our sins and brings us hope that we can enter God's presence without the fear of judgment. If you're a Christian. And I would be an absolute fool to believe that everyone in this building is a Christian. I've heard many here profess that. But I've also heard some reject that. So let me tell you this. If you have not turned in faith to Christ... As your Lord and your Savior, your great high priest who can mediate and has compassion for you today. If you have not done that, you will not enter into God's presence at his throne and receive mercy and help at the time of need. No, you'll receive judgment, righteous indignation against you for all eternity. And it will be worth. It'll be worth everything today. For you to abandon those things that enslave you and look to Jesus. He is your only way out of wrath. Because he took it in your place if you trust in him. If you'll turn to Christ, if you'll repent to turn the other way, turn away from sin, turn to Jesus. You will find mercy and grace in his presence. That's what we're celebrating today. You'll find mercy and grace in his presence because not because you draw near to him, but because first he drew near to us when he incarnated God's love and came to this planet to suffer in our place so that we can now draw near to God with confidence through his atoning work. I I do not fear coming into God's presence in the future, I, I am in awe, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm a little bit in awe here, right? I don't know what it'll be like, I don't know how it'll, it'll actually happen, but I'm not afraid. Because Jesus absorbed all the wrath that was due me in one place on the cross. And my sins are forgiven. That's a great joy to have. It's a great thing to celebrate. We see it... Proclaimed, I think, in Hebrews 4.16. In Hebrews 4.16, we see that Christ's high priestly work is not just the basis of our salvation, not just the basis of God's grace to us, but it's also the basis of our eternal confidence. 14 begins with saying, since then we have a great high priest. Then verse 16 says, since because of this, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, the throne of God's unmerited favor, undeserved favor. Because of this great high priest, we can come here with confidence that we could receive something. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Based on his compassion, based on his mediation, we can come to the throne of God, a place that is always spoken of in the New Testament as the throne of judgment apart from Jesus. But we can come to that place that used to be a place of judgment and we can come there and find grace. Because Jesus received the judgment for us. 
That's the only way sinners like us could even dare to enter into God's presence with confidence. Look at Hebrews 10, verse 12. Hebrews 10, 12 to 18 tells us why our confidence in God's holy presence is secure. It's going to tell us here that our confidence in God's holy presence is secure and we know it without fear or trembling because it's grounded in Christ's mediation. It's grounded in Christ's compassion. It's grounded in Christ's eternal intercession, his ongoing work that always is afresh. See, Christ's atonement was not like the, the, the fresh flower that pops up in the day and then it dies and never comes back. You have to replant it the next year. No, it was perennial. His, his, his offering is always fresh. It's always like it's just bloomed. Look what it says, 12 down to 18. But when Christ has offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Now, understand this. In the temple, when they offered sacrifices, there was no chair because the work never ended. Ongoing, year after year after year, sacrifices were made, but not in this holiest of holy temples. There's a chair. It's a throne. And the one who finished the work sat on it. It was complete. It was at the right hand of God, a place of authority. Waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected or matured or sanctified for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. And he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. My confidence And coming to the throne of God is not based on how well I perform in this life. God loves me and accepts me on the basis of how much he loves his son and accepts the work of Jesus. I can rest in that at night. When I fall short, and I do all the time, I don't have to go back and retrace my own salvation. I have to go back and look at how Christ accomplished my salvation. He sat down when his work was done. It was completed. His offering satisfied all of God's righteous demands, all of God's righteous requirements, because his blood eternally intercedes for us. And that interceding blood cleanses us, cleanses our conscience, cleanses our hearts, and brings us peace, confidence in God's presence. These verses tell me that that Christ's intercession, his his eternal intercession through the sacrifice of himself is what brings me with confidence into God's presence. And it doesn't just bring me there. It doesn't just allow me to come there. It actually draws me there. I can go to God, the righteous judge, and I don't have to be afraid. I can go because he actually cares, because he's sympathetic, he's compassionate, he hears my cries for help, and he wants me to come. I'm compelled to come. I want to come. Because Christ's blood draws me there. His blood is the anchor within the veil. 
I see that I'm secure there. I want to go there. I want to go there with confidence. I want to bring my needs and my petitions to him, knowing that he's sympathetic, knowing that he will give us mercy and we'll find grace in the time of need. There's no other place we can go for those things. The place that he went was a place that no man could go on their own into God's very presence. Yet now we can come into God's presence because we're covered in the blood-soaked, righteous robes of Jesus. His blood intercedes for us. And through His blood, through His accomplishment, through Christ alone, sinners like us now have bold access to the very throne of holy God. You think about that the next time you're praying for someone who's lost. You think about that the next time you bring bring needs to God that are burdens in your life. Does he hear you? Is he able? Are you getting close enough to the throne? Yeah, you're there. The blood has brought you into his very presence. And there, he tells us, we find mercy that we don't deserve and favor that we could never earn. And both of those come to us in a time that we need it. God is eager to be merciful to us. God is eager to grace us because of Jesus. See, Jesus isn't just the way to salvation. He is the only way to life. Now and forever. And access to God. Mediation, compassion, intercession. To help us in our time of need. Look what it says in Hebrews 10, further down, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way, that's the perennial, freshly sacrificed way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. There is nothing keeping you from coming into his presence if you've trusted in Jesus. You should be compelled to go there to the throne of grace because he turned the throne of judgment into our mercy seat. And he sprinkled his own blood upon it to cleanse us for all eternity so that we can have unity with God, peace with God. That's why I think we, like the reformers of yesteryear, must hold fast to solus Christus. That is the gospel. Jesus is the gospel. Our great high priest, as I said earlier, is our anchor within the veil. In Jesus, we need no other sacrifice. In Jesus, we need no other mediators. Through him, he has given us everything. All the riches of glory are ours in Christ Jesus. We need nothing but Jesus alone. But we need him, don't we? Do you need him today? Do you need Jesus today for salvation, for sanctification? Yes, you do. You need him. And what you need to know is the one who drew near to us in the past 
will draw near to sinners in the present as well through his word, through his word of promise that you're hearing today. He is near to you. Cry out to him today. Understand by looking at what he is like in this passage today. You need to know he is more eager to come to your aid than you are to ask for him to come. He left heaven's glory to come and suffer for our sins. You think he won't come to you now when you need him? Call upon him. Call upon him when you're hurting. Call upon him when you're struggling. Call upon him when you're afraid and you doubt what you believe. Call upon him and he will grant you what you need. He'll grant you healing. He'll grant you comfort. He'll grant you peace. If you but believe in him. Trust him. Trust in his work. Trust in his nature. Trust in his divine love. And then turn from your sins. It's always easy to point out turning from sins. What we have a harder time with in our culture today is relabeling sins, right? Let me put it this way. Turn from your self-reliance. Turn from your self-righteousness. Turn away from trying to trust in your own ability to make yourself right, to, to please God on your own. Turn from those things. Confess your guilt to God and that you need Jesus and cry out to him for mercy today. If you cry out today, he will hear you. He will hear your cries because according to Hebrews 4, Jesus is a merciful Savior. So what I want to tell you today is look to him and live. Look to Jesus and live.